So Rebecca's conveniently got my, your attention back for me. Um, it's my job to introduce our guest speaker. I've been a guest speaker in a number of churches in the past, and you listen to, when you're introduced, you think, oh, blimey, I'd like to listen to this bloke, and then you realise they're talking about you. Um, so, but it is important to do, to do this. Natalie Williams is someone I've been getting to know over the recent, recent years. Um, one of the websites describes you as a former journalist. I don't even, can you stop being one of them? I mean, it's like, I'm a bricklayer. I didn't stop being a bricklayer. I just don't do it anymore. <laughs> um, so Natalie heads up community engagement, social action, and communication at King's Church in Hastings, um, and is a key player at Jubilee Plus, again, a, a, an organization that crosses all the new frontiers, spheres, um, where she's responsible, again, for communication and also writing and social media. She has co-authored two books, and I would highly recommend them, and she's conveniently brought some with her on the table over there. The Myth, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, and this one, A Church for the Poor. I read this a couple of years ago when it first came out. I loved it. It's one of the best books I've read on the subject. I, I highly recommend it. Um, there, there are friends of ours quoted and named in there, namely Tom Head um, and Ben Lindsay, um, and of course me. Yeah, that's why I bought it, just to see if I was quoted, <laughs> quoted accurately. Um, so, so do, do have a look at those books, but I, I, won't, I won't go on and on. Like I say, I don't um, want to do that. Natalie's going to come and speak to us. We want to give her as much time as possible, but I'd love you to give her a very warm welcome as she makes her way to the stage. Hi, good morning. It's great to be here. I'm particularly excited to be um, speaking here because about... 17 years or so ago, I used to visit this church. Um, I was living in London, and I was a Christian, but I had wandered away from my faith. And someone who used to come to this church used to say to me, hey, why don't you come along to my church with me, and if you come, I'll buy you lunch afterwards. <laughs> and I didn't have any money, so I used to come along a few times. I'll, honest, I'll be honest with you, it was for the lunch, but so it's great to... Um, have that connection with you guys where I think, yeah, 16 or 17 years ago I was here a few times just for lunch and now I have the privilege of speaking today. And I'm also really delighted to be here on Cap Sunday um, because um, I became a Christian when I was 15 but then I wandered away from God, I wandered away from my faith and a lot of people get into debt just to make ends meet because they have to. That wasn't my story I got into £26,000 worth of debt mainly because I was hopeless with money and I spent it on a whole load of things that I shouldn't have spent it on. And so when I kind of came back to God, I got stuck into my local church in Hastings. Um, I had this twenty-six grand of debt and I didn't have a job. And about a third of my debt was student debt, so, you know, kind of fair enough. Uh, I'd gone to university, first one in my family to ever go, so it had been hard to kind of survive financially. But the other two-thirds of it were things I spent money on that I just didn't need to spend money on, that I shouldn't have spent money on, that didn't really do me any good. And so here I was kind of back in my local church with this huge amount of debt, no job, thinking I don't know what I'm going to do. 
I was overwhelmed with it. And the leader of my church got a meeting with me with someone in the church who was a financial advisor. And he looked at my finances and he said, I think you should declare yourself bankrupt. And I, I told my mum that. And my mum worked for a bank. And my mum started telling me that there would be loads of consequences if I declared myself bankrupt and that it was going to probably be something I'd be stuck with for many years. And a couple of weeks later, I got a job. So I decided I wouldn't declare myself bankrupt, but I would just try and start paying off this debt that I had. And I was in a pretty dire situation, if I'm honest with you, living with this constant sense of I'm never going to be free of this. It felt like a millstone around my neck that I wasn't going to be able to shake off. And, you know, I I prayed that I'd have people give me money through the door, you know, that checks would come through the door. You hear that happen for some people never and never happened to me I was like God you could just wipe out my debt you could you know I'd pray for that exact amount you know those stories where someone says it was the exact amount to the penny and I was like come on God you know I've come back to you don't you owe me a little bit it's not a great way to pray (laughs) but you know what actually I didn't get any miraculous checks through the door but I think a bigger miracle happened which was that God taught me to be really really good with money and I went from being really really hopeless with money to learning how to handle it well, to learning how to live within my means, learning how to pay off debt. And then God did bless me in that the job I had, this new job that I'd got, a year into it, they gave me a huge pay rise, which meant I was able to overpay my debt and get rid of it a lot quicker than naturally I should have been able to. And so the thing I think is really kind of funny about it today, because obviously it's a long time ago, so for me now it's kind of a long way in the past, is that for the last few years in my church, I've been one of the people leading the CAP budgeting course in the church. And if you told people I was at uni with and um, in my mid-20s, if you told them that one day I'd lead a budgeting course in a church, I think they would have absolutely laughed at you and thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And that would have been, there was like no way she will end up doing that. But that is just something that God absolutely loves to do. He loves to take the dire situations in which we find ourselves, sometimes through our own fault, sometimes through no fault of our own, and he loves to take the kind of big weaknesses that we've got and totally turn them around so that we can actually help other people who are going through what we once went through. So it's a real privilege to be here on Cap Sunday and to be speaking about God's heart for the poor about this God who is so merciful to us that his plan isn't just to lift us up out of our poverty or out of our difficult situations, but is to make us oaks of righteousness, as it says in Isaiah 61, to make us be those who get to rebuild the lives of others after God has rebuilt our lives. So it's an amazing privilege. I expect that kind of many of you here, particularly if you're a Christian, if you're someone who follows Jesus and you're here this morning, I expect that you probably already know that God has a heart for the poor. I mean, you guys run CAP, the food bank, things like this. So you might already be convinced that God cares about those who are in poverty and those who are oppressed and marginalized. You know, we see it clearly in the life of Jesus all through the uh, Bible. Actually, we see that God cares about the poor and churches like yours and like mine are doing more and more. Over the last 10 years or so, it's amazed me. I have the privilege of going to lots of churches and just hearing about so many stories of what we're doing in our communities to help lift people out of poverty. But one of the things I think is really interesting um, is at the same time as the fact we're doing more and we're helping people out of poverty, and many of our own stories would be that we've come up out of poverty as well, there's still this lingering question in British society, which is, I think, who deserves our help and who doesn't? 
Does everyone who walked through the door deserve to be helped by us? What about if I come into your church and I say, I've got 26,000 pounds of debt, please will you help me? And you start to hear my story and, and, you, and my story is that, I don't know, maybe someone in my family died and then I lost my job and I've got kids to support and all this. You might think, wow, I really, really want to help you. But if I told you the actual story, which is that I spent a lot of that money on things like drugs, you might go, well, I don't know, I'm not so sure. Do you actually deserve my help? And what if I keep making bad decisions? What if you give me some money to help me out of a hole that I'm in and I go and spend it on something I shouldn't rather than paying off my debt and then I come back to your church again and go, will you help me again? What are we supposed to do? Is there stuff in the Bible that can kind of help us? Because I think in poverty in our society is hard to grapple with. You know, we see images on our TV screens of um, children starving in developing nations like this image and rightly so our our hearts are moved with compassion you know we think what can I do to help is there anything I can do to help alleviate the suffering that I see in the world and that's a that's a good response to have but then what about when we see someone like this guy that I met who was holding up a sign saying why lie I want beer are we supposed to help him What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to interact with him and engage with him? Because poverty in a UK context, we are beset with headlines that tell us that people do not deserve our help. Headlines like these on the screen, you know, vile product of Welfare UK. I'm sure some of you will remember this guy, Mick Philpott, who a few years ago went to prison because he set fire to his own house and several of his children died in that fire. But what a headline like this does, vile product of Welfare UK, is it intrinsically links his crime, this awful, horrendous thing that he's done that's led to the death of his own kids, with the fact that he's on benefits. That headline tells us, because he's on benefits, that's why he did what he did. And if we're not careful, even those of us who believe in what the Bible says and we see the life of Jesus, we can, um, if we're reading stuff like this all the time, it can just drip feed into what we think about poverty and what we think about people who are on benefits or maybe from different backgrounds to us. Maybe backgrounds we might have once had and we've now kind of moved ourselves out of. And it can give us an attitude towards some people in poverty which would say, actually, I'm not sure you do deserve my help. We live in a context where we can be simultaneously appalled that people don't have enough food to feed their kids, as we are appalled that people can make a choice not to work because they think they'd be better off on benefits. So in that context, how are we supposed to, especially if you're a follower of Jesus here today, how are we supposed to engage with the poorest in our communities? Because many of the people who come through our doors asking for help, it's going to be a real mixture of some who we're going to hear their stories and our hearts are going to break for everything they've gone through that was no fault of their own. And others whose stories are going to be much more like mine, which is I made one bad decision after another and landed myself in huge amounts of debt that I then couldn't get out of. To start with, I think for those of us who are Christians, we have to see that God has always been especially concerned about the poor. 
He always has. When I first became a Christian, I didn't have much understanding about God. So I thought that the God of the Old Testament was just about rules and regulations. And, you know, you either do as you're told or he smites you or, you know, you you better not mess up. And then we come to Jesus in the New Testament, kind of the later part of the Bible. And we find that actually he's kind and compassionate. So my idea of God when I first became a Christian was that um, the God of the Old Testament is quite harsh. And then you get to Jesus and he's like a softer version of God. He's like a fluffier version, if you like. And that understanding of God was completely wrong. Actually, if we read our Bible from Genesis right at the beginning to Revelation at the end, we see that God has always been especially concerned about the poorest, about the vulnerable, and about the oppressed. There are literally hundreds of verses in the Bible. There's just a few of them up on the screen behind me, but there are hundreds of verses in the Bible about God's heart for the poor. There's an actually a Bible you can buy called the Poverty and Justice Bible where it's all highlighted for you. So if you're a bit like me and you might be a bit lazy and you think, I haven't got time to find all the verses in the Bible about poverty and justice... Actually, you can buy this Bible and you can just every page you'll find something highlighted. You can barely turn a page without there being something about God's heart towards poverty and injustice. When God was setting out how his people should live in the Old Testament, you know, when we think about maybe the law in the Old Testament and we think that's just rules and regulations, but actually at the heart of it, there was so much provision for the poor in the community there were things like it said there's the law of gleaning which is where farmers would pick up their crops and some would inevitably fall by the wayside and they might be tempted to think well I better go back and pick up all those bits because that's how I'm going to feed my family and that's how I'm going to make money by selling it to other people but God said don't do that God said leave what gets left behind leave it for those who are poor leave it for the widow and the orphan leave it for the foreigner Leave it for those who have no way to support themselves because God wanted everyone to have food. In the law of Moses, we read things like that wages should be paid immediately and that people should be paid a good wage for what they work and that it shouldn't be deferred, but it should be given in a timely fashion. We also read that interest shouldn't be charged on loans. Imagine the impact that would have on our society today if interest wasn't charged on loans. You know, with Wonga just going bust, even a couple of days after they were going into administration, you could still get a loan from Wonga with a 1,500% interest rate on that loan. Imagine if we followed what the Bible said. Imagine if our society followed what God said, which is don't charge interest on loans. The whole reason being so that people who had found themselves in dire straits couldn't be exploited. It also says that the tithes and the offerings that were bought by God's people weren't just for the priests. They weren't just for the religious people, but they were also for the, for, for the poor. They were to be distributed among the poorest. And there were two specific provisions in the Old Testament that I think particularly demonstrate God's heart for the poor. One of them is the Sabbath year, which was every seventh year. If you were in debt, you would know that when the seventh year came around, your debts would be gone they would be wiped out and you could start again. There was grace built into the law so that no debt would be forever. You know, so many of the testimonies of people who've come through CAP and become debt-free is that they were suicidal and overwhelmed and in absolute crisis. Imagine if they knew that the maximum amount of time they were going to have to wait would be seven years and then they'd be completely debt-free. What hope would that bring what life would that bring and that's what God set out in the law 
He also said that there would be the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, again, your debts would be um, wiped out and cancelled. Not only that, but if you'd become poor and you'd had to put yourself into slavery, you would get your freedom again in the year of Jubilee. If you'd had to give up the land that belonged to your family, the way you had of making a living, you would get it back in the year of Jubilee. It was like pressing the reset button. So what it meant was that the, the extremes of wealth and poverty were modified because you couldn't just go on getting richer and richer and richer at the expense of the poor. And the poor were never, ever in a hopeless state because God had set this into the very foundations of how he wanted his society to live. And if that doesn't persuade you, we just need to look at Jesus. To be honest, we just see that Jesus expended so much energy towards those on the margins of society. So much of his time was spent with people that no one else wanted to spend time with. And we see in Luke chapter 4, we won't turn to it, but in Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus starts his whole ministry by proclaiming that he not only brings, but that he is good news for the poor. It's really interesting that... Um, when he reads this passage that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me, he's reading from Isaiah 61, but what it says is that when the scroll was handed to him, he looked for the place where it was written. It wasn't an accident that Jesus read that passage. He read that the spirit of the sovereign Lord had anointed him to bring good news for the poor, to bring release for the captives, to bring recovery of sight for the blind. And sometimes for those of us who are Christians, we can read that as if it's just a spiritual thing. We can think, well, you know, he came to give us um, sight spiritually so that we could see God. He came to release us from our sins. But actually, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see it didn't just have spiritual implications. It had very physical implications too. Jesus literally healed the blind. He literally set oppressed people free. This isn't just a spiritual thing, as wonderful as that is, but it's also a, a literal physical thing that happens as well. So it wasn't a sideshow of Jesus' ministry. It was at the very foundation, the very start of his ministry. He says, I've come to bring good news to the poor. And when Jesus came, there was this breaking in of heaven to earth heaven opening up and so often when we talk about that we talk about um, miracles and healings and um, wonders like that which is amazing and, and, and that's wonderful and of course we all want to see more of that but we tend not to talk so much about the fact that it actually meant that people were raised up out of their poverty as well that people who were on the edges of society were brought close and brought into the very heart of Jesus ministry and in fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 25 that actually how his followers treat the poorest and treat those without food and without clothes, those who are thirsty, those who are sick, those who are in prison, how we treat them is actually a hallmark of how well we know Jesus, full stop. And it's kind of sobering stuff. And I know if you're anything like me, maybe when you read these passages in your Bible, you read them really, really quickly to get to something that kind of is more comfortable for us and doesn't challenge us so much. But these things are there in the Bible designed to challenge us, designed to provoke a response so that we might live more like Jesus lived. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We get this amazing privilege of doing it. And it's not a departmental thing that's for some Christians and not for and others can just go, I'm really glad they're doing it. 
I know for some of us, we might um, hear Sue talking about CAP and think, oh, great, God bless you. Isn't it great that you're doing it? But actually, God has called all of us who follow Jesus to have a heart for the poor and to actually have an outworking of that in our lives. It's not something that can just be left to a few enthusiastic CAP or food bank volunteers, but it's something that's actually for all of us because the more we get to know Jesus, the more we become like him. And he rescued people from poverty wherever he saw it and so you might be thinking well this is all well and good yep okay you know I've read my bible I know this you're preaching to the converted we do loads um, to help those in poverty but if some of you are anything like me I find that my heart actually does have a bit of a cut-off point for compassion I find that even though I've written a book called the myth of the undeserving poor which probably gives you a hint as to where I might be going. Um, Even though I've done that, I find my own heart so often actually really struggles with either certain groups of people or certain attitudes that I see among people. So you might be thinking, yeah, I get it. I know that God's got a heart for the poor. But what does that actually look like in, in our community, in British society? What does it actually mean when someone comes and asks me for help and they just keep making bad decision after bad decision? I think there are two particular stories in the Bible that I think can really help us think about that. And if you want to turn to them, if you've got a Bible, you can. One of them is in 2 Samuel 9. The other one's Luke 15. But the words are going to come up on the screen uh, behind me. Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of 2 Samuel 9. I'm just going to read you a few bits of it. And it says in 2 uh, Samuel 9, verse 3 onwards, the king, that's David, asked... Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now we know from a bit earlier in the Bible, in 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4, that how Mephibosheth became lame in both feet was when he was five years old his nurse was fleeing to safety with him she was looking after him trying to get him to safety and it says in the bible that as she hurried to leave he fell and he became disabled so since he was five years old he's been disabled as an adult now he can't support himself he has no way to work um and If you're anything like me, you might think it's really easy to feel sympathy for someone like Mephibosheth. Because if he comes into our church and he says, you know, can you help me? I feel very comfortable helping someone like him. Because he is in need through no fault of his own. He's a victim of circumstances beyond his control. I think, wow, how awful it must have been that this happened to you when you were five years old. And also, did you notice how humble and grateful he was for David's help? When he says, who am I? I'm a dead dog. Why would you help me? So he's thankful for the help that he's given. 
But then if we turn to another story in the Bible, in Luke 15, from verse 11, it's a story many of us all know well. It's the story of the prodigal son. And it's primarily about God's mercy and loving kindness towards us. But I think it has some application to help us think about poverty in a British context as well. So Luke 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And now, I don't know, if you're anything like me, I've got a bit more of a problem with the prodigal son. Even with my own background, if the prodigal son ran in here right now and said, please help me, I'm in dire need, I'm starving to death. And I said to him, what happened to you? And he said, I squandered my wealth in wild living. And actually, the older brother in the story tells us later on that actually it was on prostitutes. Something in my heart responds very differently to the prodigal son, to how I would respond to someone like Mephibosheth. I'd be thinking, but your own bad decisions got you here. You had all this money. Why didn't didn't you think? When you started to get a bit low on cash, didn't you? kind of brain engage and even though my own experience is I squandered some money on wild living myself I still find that my heart actually reacts harshly to someone in this situation I can't imagine particularly that I'd struggle to help a Mephibosheth but I know I absolutely sometimes struggle to help someone like the prodigal son And I think this is so relevant to our communities in Britain today, especially when we have those headlines that were up on the screen earlier and we're presented with such stark contrasts of people who do and do not deserve our help. When we think about people who come to our food banks, when we think about even people that we pass on the streets, maybe asking us for money, you know, we can have, we can find so easily there's a cutoff point for our compassion. Sometimes it's you know, we walk past someone on the street and they've got a child and they're in tears and they look desperate. And just the outward appearance of desperation causes something in our hearts to be moved with compassion. But then for some of us, we'll see someone sitting with a sign asking for money, sipping from a can of lager, feeding their dog, and find that actually that's our cut-off point for compassion because we make a judgment call about whether what they spend their money on is worthwhile 
or not. I think our society definitely has a scale of those who deserve our help to those who don't. Like I said, if I'd come to you in my debt and told you one story, I wonder how many would have been like, yes, we definitely want to help you. But I know if your hearts are anything like mine, if I'd come and told you the true story, maybe for some of you, you'd have been like me. I'm not so sure. Maybe you need to help yourself a little bit first. There's a lovely woman in my church in Hastings who has been volunteering at our food bank for many, many years since it started actually over six years ago. And she told me that for her, the cutoff point for compassion is when people aren't grateful. She said, some people walk into the food bank and they act like they've got a right to your help. And then when you give them the food parcel, they don't even say thank you. And she said, what happens in her heart is she wants to run out the door after them and take the food back and say, if you're not going to be grateful for it, I'm going to give it to someone else. How many of us can identify with that? I get it every time I hold a door open for someone and they don't say thank you. Something, (laughs) you know, isn't it true? Something happens in our hearts where... I don't know, maybe you're nicer than me, but I want to slam the door (laughs) back in their face and go... And you know when you do that passive-aggressive thing of muttering under your breath, thank you, you know? (laughs) Or when you let someone go in their car and they don't even just do that polite little wave and so you do it to them to help them understand they should have thanked you. (laughs) I'm going to assume from the laughter that I'm not alone and just standing here confessing my sins and you're all thinking, wow, she's awful. For me, you know what, actually, it was a woman I met in Beijing. I lived in China for a year when I was a journalist, when I was a journalist, a former journalist in the past. Um, I lived in Beijing, and um, we were told not to give money to the kids begging on the streets of of Beijing. And um, I didn't understand why we were told by our Chinese colleagues not to give money until the first time I did it. And what would happen is you'd give to one and suddenly, out of nowhere, there would be like 30 or 40 kids. And I'm quite short, so many of them would be almost at my height, hanging off me. I didn't speak enough uh, Mandarin to tell them I don't have enough money to give to all of you. They didn't speak English. And so you learn, actually, to kind of harden your heart and to not give to kids you saw. But one night I was out with some friends Um, just out for a drink and this little kid came over he must have been about six or seven years old he was filthy dirty his clothes he was wearing shorts and a sleeveless t-shirt that had big holes in it they were dirty too these clothes were hanging off him and you know when just I don't know there's something about their face the eyes and you just you're moved and so I thought well I will give him money I looked around I couldn't see any other kids I thought I'll give him some money I gave him a little bit of money And then I watched him go over to a street vendor and buy a rice cake, just a kind of circular rice cake, no bigger than that. And, you know, in my head at the time, I'm thinking, oh, this is good. I'm a good person. I've just done this nice deed and he's going to eat and that's good. Um, Good for him, good for me. You know, everyone wins. And then I saw him take this rice cake over to a woman who I assume was his mum. And I saw her break off a small piece. And again, in my head, just in the split second, I'm thinking, that's nice. She's going to get a little bit too. I'm I'm glad that I've actually fed two people. Kind of this sense of self-righteousness about this good deed I'd, I'd done. Then I saw the woman give the small piece to the child while she ate the larger piece. And I'm going to be honest with you, what happened in my heart in that moment is I was absolutely outraged. I was like, how can you take food from a child? I literally wrote her off in an instant. I was indignant. And it didn't occur to me that maybe someone else had already helped them that night. 
and maybe this was the second time they'd had food and the child had already eaten. That thought didn't go through my head. I didn't think, well, maybe it's like when you're on a plane and you know they, they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first. Maybe this woman was going to have to carry her child somewhere to safety for that night and she was so weak because she hadn't eaten and she just needed some subsistence. Didn't go through my head. I didn't even think, how desperate would you have to be if she was doing what I thought she was doing? What level of desperation would you have to reach if you literally were taking food from a starving child? None of those thoughts entered my head. I literally pole vaulted over compassion about as fast as it's possible to do it. And in a moment wrote her off. But worse still, the thought that went through my head is, if I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have given money to that child. So I not only wrote off the woman, but I wrote off the child as well as deserving of my help. And I'm telling you this uh, not just to um, you know, confess my sins to you, but because I think for so many of us, if we're really honest about what goes on in our hearts when we see people in need, we can very quickly get to a place where we shut down any compassion and where we close off to what God might want us to do. But when we look at these stories of Mephibosheth and the prodigal son, we see that while they stand in stark contrast to one another, one of them clearly in need through no fault of his own, and the other one clearly in need very much because of his own mistakes, we see that the response of the father figure in both stories is exactly the same. The father figure in each story responds with compassion We're told that with David, it says that he was looking to show God's kindness to someone in Saul's family, which is actually pretty remarkable because Saul had tried to kill David, not just once, but a number of times. And actually, David was looking for someone to show God's kindness to, is what it says. And with the father of the prodigal son, it says he spotted his son returning while he was still a long way off. And his immediate response was to show kindness and to show mercy. So we've seen that God has always been especially concerned about the poor, but what these stories show us is that actually God's, in God's kingdom, compassion and mercy are never based on the recipient, but they're actually based on the giver. The compassion of mercy of Jesus is based on who he is, not on the object of his kindness. And actually, for those of us who follow Jesus, we get to ask a very different question to society. We get to ask the question, not should I help you, not do you deserve my help, but how can I show you the kindness of God today? Imagine if we changed and every morning that was the question we started our day with, God, who can I show your kindness to today? It's a very different starting place to walking past someone in the street and thinking, I'm not sure you deserve my help. You know, we see that Jesus interacted with those on the margins of society, the people that society shunned not only felt comfortable around Jesus, but they actively sought him out. Is the same true of us? I think it increasingly is. But don't we want it to be? That those that feel they have nowhere else to turn. I just want to tell you quickly a story about a guy who came to our food bank in Hastings in November. He walked in and um, our food bank manager, John, who's here with me um, today, 
basically came up and got me and said I've got a guy who is homeless and he's got some mental health problems and he's not really coping with being in the food bank we were a bit overwhelmed it was really busy that day can you come and spend a bit of time with him and if I'm honest with you my first reaction was oh do I have to I've got quite a lot to do and you know I just want to be up front with you but John was like I really need you can you come and do it so I thought well I'll give a few minutes to this guy and I ended up spending three hours trying to get this guy help because it turned out that every other local organisation either couldn't help him or wouldn't help him. They knew of him, but like I phoned our um, local council and said, he's homeless, can you house him temporarily? And they said, we know him and he's not eligible for help. And this was in November. They said to me, if the temperature drops below freezing for three nights in a row and we believe that he slept out in it for three nights in a row, then we will help him. Then he becomes eligible for our help. I'm thinking he's going to die if that happens because he was just in a hoodie and jeans. But they said, and the woman I spoke to was lovely, but she said, we can't help him. We're not flexible. We have rules and we have to keep to them. We cannot help him unless that happens. Other organisations in the town knew of him and said, we could help him, but we won't because he's been threatening, he's been abusive, and he'd been honest with me about this. He'd been up front that he'd not done himself any favours. And so they said, our staff are kind of, or our volunteers are scared of him, so we're not going to help him. The church was the only hope for this guy that day. We were the only place where he was going to find mercy that went above and beyond because there was nowhere else that was going to help him. And that is the amazing privilege that we get as those who believe in Jesus and follow him. We get to show mercy when it's deserved and when it's undeserved. We get to show mercy whether we think the person has a right to it or we think they don't, whether they're grateful for it or whether they're not. Because, you know, society would say to people, well, you made your bed, so you lie in it. Jesus never says that. Aren't you grateful that Jesus has never said that to you? I am so grateful Jesus has never said to me, you made your bed, go lie in it. Society treats people based on their behaviour. Christians are called to treat people based on God's behaviour. We're not called to look at the person in front of us and say, do you deserve my help? We're called to look up at Jesus Christ and say, how can I show the mercy that I've been shown? to this person in front of me today and I'm not saying that we don't have to be wise in the way we help people of course we do but I'll be honest with you often I use the word wisdom when what I mean is cynicism often when I'm thinking I don't know what you're going to do with the help I'm going to give you it's because I'm cynical not because I'm being wise and actually we just need to start with a fundamentally different question I'll just to finish I'll give you this quote from Billy Graham which says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict God's job to judge and my job to love so often I get my job wrong I find it comes way more naturally to me to judge other people I find I like a bit of convicting other people oh I wouldn't have done it like that but actually that's not my role I'm called to love the Bible says in Micah 7 that God delights to show mercy he delights to do it and Jesus said in Luke 6 verse 36 Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. We get to reflect Jesus to those around us. We get to show mercy to those that society would write off. We get to be called to this radical mercy that isn't like society saying, tell me why you deserve my help. 
but says, I didn't deserve any mercy from God, yet he has lavished it upon me. So how can I show you the mercy of God today? I'd love to close by, if you're sitting here and you think, I know that I need to be more merciful. I know that I've got some way to go to be more merciful like God. Then I wonder if you'd just stand so I could pray. If you're comfortable to do so, if if you find it helpful to lift your hands to God, if whatever way you find it um, easier to receive from God, why don't you do that now? Father, we are so grateful that you have shown us more mercy than we could even begin to claim we deserved. Thank you that your mercies for us have been new every single day. Thank you there's no limit to your mercy. Thank you that the Bible tells us your mercy follows us all the days of our lives. And thank you that that means it follows us when we're honouring you and when we're not. When we feel like we might deserve it and when we definitely don't. And God, I just want to pray for us here. Help us to be more like you. Thank you that we get to be merciful like you. And I pray you'd align our hearts with yours right now. Help us to not have a cut-off point for our compassion but help us to be more and more merciful like you are. God, would you help us not to judge, not to convict, but just to love like you love. And I pray even this week, would you give each one of us who's responded, would you give us opportunities to show mercy where we might not have shown it in the past, to bring your kindness and your compassion. I pray that this week we'd start our day asking the question, God, how can I show your kindness to those around me today? In Jesus' name, amen.